0: If you don't know where to find Nehemiah, if you, most of us know where the Psalms are. If you go back three books: Psalms, Esther, and then Nehemiah. I really appreciate how this the decoration team took these were white styrofoam, and they turned it into that. Fantastic! As a look at rebuilding together. Over the years? I've gone with with Nathan Strand and with men from Good News. I've gone with my family and my sons to Boundary Waters, up on the US Canada border. It's always a fantastic time. I don't usually love the twelve hour drive up, but once I'm there, I love the wildlife. I love sitting around the campfire talking with the guys. The campfire is so important. You see, we cook meals from that. But at night and in the morning, there's another very important thing called coffee that comes from those fires. I can remember so clearly getting up in the mornings, and I'm usually one of the first ones that would wake up, and I'd want to wash my face off, and then I'd want to make coffee. And I'd usually wake somebody else up, and we'd go over, and the fire from the night before would be out, and about all you could see was maybe a little small, little red ember here and there. And if we were lucky, somebody had, a, had run along a piece of cardboard, or maybe we might find some leaves or whatever, but we would fan those embers that were so tiny, we'd fan them and fan them, and slowly you'd see more of those embers begin to light up. And then slowly you see a little flicker of a flame. And then as we added little t- straw and little sticks, that fire would catch on and get going. And we could have our coffee, the thing the fire was made for. Sometimes the same thing happens in our lives. That fire within, that passion for God, it almost goes out. And we need to flame it with God's Word. Fan it, rather, with God's Word. And as we fan it, as we take God's Word, and as we apply it to our lives, as we obey, God begins to renew. He begins to reignite within us that passion and that hunger, that love for God and for His Word. And then, once that fire is alive in us, We're able to do what God calls us to do, to be his people, shining brightly in a dark world. He's able to use us. In a similar way, the book of Nehemiah teaches us how God works in and through his people, the church, reviving, renewing, igniting his people as we obey God's word. The book of Nehemiah is, is a, it's a personal testimony of the man Nehemiah. There's also a powerful theological confession also. It offers a really good look at Nehemiah, the man, his heart. We also see God in a powerful, powerful way. I think we'll be inspired as we look at this man's life and see God involved in the whole process. The book of Nehemiah, it it really is just like a... It it shows the subjective experience of Nehemiah as a man. A man who was deeply conscious of God in his life. But also showing those objective uh, theological truths. Just a picture, though, quickly of his heart. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, Nehemiah says, The king granted me what I asked for, Because the good hand of my God was upon me. Four verses later in verse 12, he's at night looking at the the wall. And he says, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Six verses later in verse 18, he says, I told them that the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. He goes on, uh, verse 20, as he faces opposition from without. He says to them, the God of heaven will supply our needs and make us prosper. And he goes on and says, our God will fight for us. So we see a picture of a man who knows God. A man who is living, listening to his spirit. There's so many theological things that, that go through here, the importance of Scripture, you know, the longer we're away from God's Word, the harder it is for that flicker to be revived. It's a struggle. And Nehemiah, the challenge for us is the body of Christ because we'll see that if we follow God's Word, we'll be blessed, not materially, but spiritually. If we don't follow God's word according to what he says, then there's grave danger for us. It's not about legalism. God's word shows us his mercy and his grace. But he also shows us his holiness and his wrath. Today, I think our culture so focuses on God being love without the reality that God is a God who deals with sin. So scripture is a key component of our lives. The second thing we'll see is prayer is a natural response of his people. Nehemiah begins with a prayer. It ends with a prayer. And throughout it, we see prayers uh, lifted up in anguish in joy, uh, independence and in commitment. We see in the man, Nehemiah, uh, an example of obedience at, at, at huge cost, at sacrifice, we see the reality of opposition is a face building this, rebuilding this wall, opposition from within as well as without. We see, of course, as I mentioned, the protection and providence of God. Matt Chandler, commenting on the book of Nehemiah, says, Nehemiah is ultimately about the promises, the providence, the provision, the protection of the Lord, along with the prayers of his people, we see his faithfulness. The book of Nehemiah is a call for action. We can hear God's word, we can agree with God's word, but too often we sit in our comfortable seats and we see that God calls us to action. And finally, we'll see that Nehemiah's a story about God's power to restore broken lives. God's power to restore broken lives. I'm always reminded of First Corinthians six nine through eleven when we, we 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 face impossible situations when we think that there's no way that we can change. It says, "Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality." Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, but, you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord. And we'll see that in this book. Well, in order to get a clear picture and to understand the book of Nehemiah, we need to go back. See what happened beforehand to influence the day and to influence the man. A thousand years before, go back to the Exodus, and just before Israel was going the promised land, God made a covenant with them. And Deuteronomy thirty covers in one through four, kinda gives a synopsis. Basically, God says, This is my covenant. If you obey me and follow it, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, curses await. The blessings were meaning joy, the presence of God, abundance. The curses were severe famine, plagues, eventual exile. And God warns Israel to put away the idols and to worship the one true God. Then fast forward from the Exodus to around 400 years or so. King David is ruling. Jerusalem has become the holy city. Later on, David's son, Solomon, builds the temple. And then, in that time period, to rightly worship the Lord, one had to go to Jerusalem in the temple. Of course, we know that after Christ, death, resurrection that no longer is the case by any means. First Peter 2.5 says that you yourselves, are about believers, are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? But back then, back then to worship God, was to go to Jerusalem, where the glory days of King David and Solomon were such a blessing for Israel. But then Solomon turned to other gods. His moral compromises became so big, so humongous, that God had to judge them. And finally, 1 Kings eleven eleven says that Since you have not kept my covenant, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. And yet, for David's sake, I will not do it in your days. So we remember the story. The kingdom was divided into two kingdoms the ten northern tribes called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. The northern tribe called Israel was exiled to Assyria. 134 years later, the same thing happened to the southern kingdom, Judah. With their case, it happened in three different exiles. The Lord judged the two kingdoms. They waited patiently for them to turn back to him. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, the Lord foretold of this 70-year Exile that God would place on them if they didn't obey. Jeremiah prophesied of Israel's fall to Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon and the exile for seventy years there. Finally, after those seventy years that God had had foretold, there were three ways of the the Jewish people returning to Jerusalem. First was under King Zerubbabel. Next. Was under Ezra. And then a few years later, under Nehemiah. After that 70 year of exile, we see again God's sovereignty. As he was working in the midst of everything, changing the powers that were to be there. The Babylonians were overtaken by the Persians and Medes. We see God working to bring about his plan, his purposes. Second Chronicles 36, 22, and 23 says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the word of God spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred him to declare, The Lord has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, and whoever is among you of his people, let him go back. So we see again God's sovereignty working. God had removed them for 70 years, their way. And then God working sovereignly, bringing them back to Jerusalem, to their land. Do you remember, two or three years ago, we went through the book of of Ezra. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they're one story. They work together. They're even one book at one time. And Ezra tells how the temple was rebuilt. Nehemiah functions as a sequel to share how the city walls were built. But both Ezra and Nehemiah were involved in rebuilding and reviving the people. And that was the ultimate goal of this. Let's look, if you will, at Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven we'll learn a lot about Nehemiah just in these first four verses we see first Nehemiah's response to the broken wall was a broken heart a broken heart he broke down and cried he was concerned with the remnant There was in great trouble, that there was shame. But secondly, he doesn't stop there. He goes to God in prayer. Instead of strategizing, he uh, says that he mourned and fasted and prayed. And we'll look in the future, we'll see that it was for four months before he did anything. Verses 5 through 7, we continue with his prayer, and he says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and who obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands and decrees and regulations that you you gave us through your servant Moses. He began to prayer, and nine times throughout the book we'll see recorded prayers of Nehemiah. I'm just wondering, if I were in Nehemiah's shoes, and if you were in Nehemiah's shoes, what would you do first? To be honest with you, probably I will start worrying. This is what God calls us to do. Would we call a meeting to see if we can solve this big problem? Or Will we consider, who do we have of influence that we can connect to solve this big problem? Or is there a network of people that we can get together with? Or would we pray? Would we pray? See, too often, our natural response to difficulty is to try to fix it ourselves. You know, our culture says, believe in yourself and try harder. God's response is to acknowledge your inadequacy and his faithfulness. When Nehemiah first acknowledges God's greatness, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love for those who love him. He acknowledges who God is, and then he confesses the sins of Israel, including himself and his family. That they have sinned terribly in not being God's decrees and commands. But why is he talking about sin? The men he talked with, they didn't mention sin, did they? I, I look back and nowhere does it mention sin. Why isn't he talking about the walls? Why isn't he praying that God would restore the walls? Uh, Why isn't he praying about those broken gates that were burned down? Why is he confessing sins of his people? Why is he placing himself alongside the people who are 800 miles away from him, identifying himself with them as he confesses the sins of the nation of Israel? Why is he talking about sin? Well, you see, Nehemiah prayed and confessed his sin, and the sin of his family, and the sin of his nation, because he has spiritual discernment. He recognized that these physical issues and concerns were symptoms of spiritual issues. Verses 8 through 10, he cries out to God again, and he says, <clears throat> remember the word that you commanded your your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among your people. But if you return to me and keep my commands and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. There they, rather, are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power, and your strong hand. Those last verses there, redeemed by your great power and your strong hand, does it remind you of when he took Israel out of Egypt with his great hand and great power? And he is saying to God, just as you removed us from slavery in Egypt, remove us from here, Take us back and rebuild us. He remembers the covenant blessings and the curses that God had placed through the servant Moses. And again, Deuteronomy 3 said, If you keep the provisions of the covenant, you'll be blessed. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you into exile. But if you return to me, if you repent, and I'll bring you back. In verse 5, as he uses the word Yahweh or Jehovah, the name, rather, for God, Yahweh, the covenant God. But you see, the wall is just a symbol. It's a symbol. When it's broken down, that we're off course. Again, what we looked at was not a physical problem, but in reality, a spiritual problem. Nehemiah discerned that the walls were broken down because the people were living in disobedience. The problem with Jerusalem was a spiritual one. The problem wasn't the walls, the conditions, the hearts. They had neglected God's word, they had strayed from God, they were then living outside of God's covenant. It's a scary thing, isn't it? Maybe a quick checklist this morning for our own hearts. Are we walking with God? Question. Do I cause dissension with my words? Do I gossip? Am I bitter toward anyone? Is there a lack of forgiveness on my end towards someone who's hurt me? Have I been hypocritical? Am I involved in sexual immorality? Do my words and actions reflect a lack of love? God wants us to walk with him. Before, not only did Nehemiah have a burden for the people. Not only did he go to prayer, not only did he have spiritual discernment, but he knew God's Word. He had to know God's Word in order to know the covenant. He had to know God's Word in order to to know all the things that he was talking about. He had to be a student. Verse 8 and 9, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. Among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. And parts of this verse are word for word from Deuteronomy 30. Some of it is a loose paraphrase. You see, Nehemiah knew God's word, he knew about the covenant, he quoted it almost word for word. Two things that were required to maintain that covenant was obedience and love of God. And over and over in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10, says, Showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Chapter 7, he keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey him. God had promised to bless Israel. He had followed his commands. But he also had promised to curse them if they were disobedient. But again, he had promised to return them if they repented. Verse 10 and 11, Nehemiah continues in his prayer, and here I love the, the, the way uh, a different version here has it, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand Or your servants, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the words of those of us who delight in honoring you. Grant us grant me success today by making the King favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. He says as he's praying, God, grant me success today as I go before the King. Give me favor with him. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. He desperately was asking God for help. He acknowledges his position as a servant. And if you're looking at the ESV, it translates that last part grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And, and then some would say, well, he's being derogatory. But what he's doing is, a, is acknowledging that the king is a man. And the king had extraordinary power. But as Nehemiah went to God, he was saying, God, the king is a man. Give me favor. Give me favor. Well, the fifth thing that Nehemiah does in his prayer is he makes himself available. He makes himself available. He didn't just ask questions. He didn't just um, express his concern. He went far more. After We'll see later on, in the weeks ahead he fasted for four months and prayed he makes himself available it can be a fearful thing to enter before the king if you read through Esther uh, who was married to the king um, she was afraid to go in and she asked for prayer the case here was Nehemiah he was facing the king who had stopped rebuilding earlier Ezra Chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, we see the situation where the, the king had given approval for them to move forward. But the enemies of Jerusalem, the enemies of the Jews, speak up and they send a letter to King Artaxerxes. And, and you just see the, the sarcasm here, um, the lies in their letter. The king, uh, the king should know that the Jews who came here Jerusalem from Babylon are rebuilding this rebellious and evil city. They have already laid the foundation and will soon finish its walls. You should know that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, it it will be much to your disadvantage. Since we are your loyal subjects and do not want to see the king dishonored in any way, we have sent the king this information. We declare to the king that this If this city is rebuilt and the walls are completed, the province west of the Euphrates will be lost to you. So, with this letter, King Artaxerxes said, "Stop the rebuilding." So, if you can imagine Nehemiah, he's going to this king again. He's going after they had been told to stop. We see Nehemiah's dangerous and delicate situation. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verse 11b, when he says, In those days I was the king's cupbearer. We'll see more about that later on in the weeks ahead. But what does this mean? To me, to you today, to the church, the city of Jerusalem, with its broken down walls, is a picture of the church today. There are things broken in the church. Dissension. Gossip, bitterness, lack of love, hypocrisy, sexual immorality, lack of love. And I'm not referencing just good news, I'm talking about the church in general. When we ignore God's word, his holiness, his justice, his generosity, evangelism, they're all lacking. Now, lacking of these things represents broken down walls, burned gates. When God shows us a condition in the church and I'm representing now on good news, when He shows us problems, when we see these holes in the wall, we need to deal with them. He wants us to respond with a broken heart. Do you do we see broken walls? of sin and compromise within the church or the areas of our lives individually that we need to surrender to God broken relationships marriage issues as I said gossip or dissension bitterness God wants us to deal with them it's easy for us to put them aside but God is saying deal with them God wants to use every trial in our lives. And sometimes our trials are a result of our sin. Sometimes we can feel like I I can never be used by God again. But remember God's grace. Remember, He longs to renew us. He longs to reignite within us that passion for God. What does it take? to rebuild our lives, to be the people that God wants us to be. Do we as a church need to deal with anything? There's definitely an emphasis within this book on the community, the body of Christ, working together. We need to be a part of God's plan. We see in Nehemiah character traits of people that God uses. First, you remember Nehemiah's response to the broken walls was a broken heart. My question for you and for me is, what's your heart broken over today? Is your heart broken over anything? I saw an old friend from University Days yesterday. He's not a believer in my heart breaks for him. There are others my heart breaks for. Do we hurt for those who are lost? Do we hurt for those who are not walking with God? Secondly, me and I went to God in prayer. What makes us go to God in prayer? What pushes us To our knees instead of strategizing or looking for a network. Nehemiah was spiritually discerning. Or you and I, because we know God's Word, are we spiritually discerning? Are we able to see the things around us in culture and to see the spiritual undertones? Nehemiah was spiritually discerning, but he also knew God's Word. Do you know God's word? Do you study it? Fifth, he made himself available. Are you and I available to serve God? As he burdens our hearts? As we look back in history, we see individuals who have been used by God to make major differences in the world. And and for God's kingdom, these people had a deep love and compassion that would not stop John Howard and Elizabeth Fry <coughs> campaigned zealously for prison reform, and they changed the system. William Wilberforce could not resist, rather really he could not rest, rather until he dealt with the trafficking of slaves, it was abolished. Lord Shaftesbury worked vigorously within the industrial Revo- uh, revolution to improve working conditions for children and for women. We all remember George Mueller and Spurgeon, who had burdens for orphans. Because of that, they were energized and took practical steps to improve their situation, providing shelter and food and security. These Christians looked out compassionately to the world around them, and they took steps, vigorous action. It's not enough just to identify and see a need, but God calls us to reach out. I've mentioned it before, but you can walk over here, or you can, you can look over here on Saturday or Sunday morning at um, the coffee shop, these lines of people, or you go down uh, Milwaukee, or you go down Division, you see all these young people without Christ, They have no knowledge sometimes of even who he is. Do we have a burden? Do we care? Are we willing to reach out to share with them, even though they may not look like us? Do we we care? J.I. Packer, commenting on the book of Nehemiah, said, Nehemiah, through God, built walls. And God... Through Nehemiah built saints. I like that. Listen to it one more time. Nehemiah, through God, built walls. And God, through Nehemiah, built saints. God's called us to build saints, to reach people for Christ. My question for you today is: what is God calling you to do this morning? What is God? calling us to do as a church. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Father, that even though we sin, Father, that when we repent, Lord, and turn back to you, Lord, that you desire to bless us and to encourage us, Lord, as we look at our own lives, as we see the book of Nehemiah, Lord, may, may we be burdened, Father, with the things around us, with the people around us. Lord, give us spiritual discernment. Give us boldness, Father, to reach out. Give us love, and Father, for their sin—what things that, that are almost casually okay, unforgiveness or dissension or gossip. Lord, remind us that there's sin. Our oh, Father, we ask that our hearts might be clean before you so it could be used by you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.